Would you please turn to Hebrews, the ninth chapter? Hebrews chapter 9 has a lot to say about the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning with verse, verse 11, 222. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from sin. We're so thankful that he was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world without blemish, without spot. We thank you for the privilege that's ours to come and celebrate the Lord's Supper and all that was provided for us in it. We ask that you'd open our eyes, of our, the eyes of our understanding to see, perceive, and understand this truth in a greater measure than ever before. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Verse 11 of chapter 9 of Hebrews, But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. It says he's not, we're not talking about an earthly temple here. Christ entered into the heavenly temple and placed the blood on the altar in the heavenly tabernacle. How many of you know that when God gave Moses directions to build the tabernacle, he was using it, it says, from the pattern of the heavenly tabernacle. So this was just a symbol, a shadow of that which was to come. But a Christ, our high priest, didn't put it in an earthly temple, tabernacle. He took the, the blood, his shed blood, and sprinkled it on the altar in the heavenly tabernacle for us to be able to obtain eternal redemption. Verse 13, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctifieth through the purifying of the flesh. Now you see that the, the Old Testament didn't, it didn't purify the, the soul or the, uh, didn't, wash away the sins, it just simply covered them. But the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, it's interesting there, I wrote down that concerning the conscience, purge your conscience. Now, the, purge, the conscience is where your guilt becomes embedded. And what a wonderful thing it is when a person is saved to know that all that guilt was there, the Lord takes it away because he has shown as a witness by His Spirit that we have been forgiven of our sins. I'm so thankful we don't have to go around constantly beating ourselves to death because of our past sins, because the Lord, through the blood of Jesus Christ and uh, through the Spirit of God witnessing to us, purges our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For this cause, He is the mediator or the guarantor of the New Testament. Mediator or guarantor of the New Testament. I like what one man said, said that today, whenever you write out a will and die, you have no assurance that it's going to be carried out the way you intended it to. And Jesus Christ wanted to make sure that that didn't happen. So when he died, he rose again and became the testator or the one that takes charge of his own will to make sure that it was fulfilled exactly how he intended for it to be fulfilled. So he is the guarantor of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption or payment of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. He fulfilled all that was in the Old Testament so that those who by faith worked under the shadow or those things which were a shadow of those things to come were set free also by the death of Jesus Christ. They were released and, re and redeemed completely. They're, they're, uh, they inherited, they had an eternal inheritance also fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They looked forward to the cross, we look back to the cross. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Now you understand what he's saying there. He's saying you can write out a will, but it means nothing until you die. 
Jesus made provision for us to inherit eternal life, but it would not, could not be fulfilled until he died. And the will came into effect. Verse 18, Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. So it says in the Old Testament, when there was an agreement, when there was a testament made in the Old Testament, a covenant made, there had to be the blood of sheep and goats and uh, bullocks in order to make provision. It had to be the death of those animals to make provision for the, that testament to take effect. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. Without shedding of blood there is no remission. Now, if you uh, were to attend some of your liberal seminaries and colleges today, you would hear them talking about the fact that uh, the Bible, some people, some of us, they're talking about, are walking around with a bloody book, always beating people over the head with the blood, the blood, the blood. And, of course, these same people deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They reject the authority of God's Word. They deny the inspiration of the Scriptures. And, therefore, they don't want to hear anything about the blood of Jesus Christ. And uh, they're absolutely right. This is a bloody book. This is a bloody book. And without the blood, we have no provision whatsoever for our sins. It is the life of the Bible. Uh, there in verse 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You remove the blood from the Word of God and you have something that's just secular and profane and meaningless as far as literature is concerned. But you'll find a ribbon of blood that runs all the way through from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. And God protected it and saw to it that it wasn't broken. God saw to it that it was complete. In fact, in the days of Noah, what happened? He destroyed all the people on the face of the earth because only Noah was still upright in all of his generations. And he was fulfilling his promise of Genesis 3.15 that from the seed of the woman would come a Redeemer. And he had to keep that bloodline clear so we could see that this was the Redeemer, the promised one from Adam all the way up to Jesus Christ. And he had to protect that. And the Scripture says that when Adam sinned, that sin was transmitted to others. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, As in Adam, all died. The sinful nature was transmitted to everyone that's an offspring of Adam and Eve. And uh, when they sinned, the Scripture says in Genesis, the third chapter and the 21st verse, that they recognized that they were naked and God clothed them in animal skins. Now you have the first evidence of the death of an animal. And by the time we get to their children, Cain and Abel, we find out that the principle of sacrificing for sin, the death of an animal for sins, uh, had already been inculcated and established in society because uh, Abel sacrificed to the Lord there in Genesis 4 and practiced it, and God was pleased with it, and Cain brought his garden products uh, materials to him, and God rejected that because he had already established that without the shedding of blood there was no remission of sin. Now this began to progress and, and get more established, and you find that more and more blood was being shed for the sins of mankind. When the Exodus came, you'll remember, the order was that they were to kill a lamb for every household. He says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And I just thought something as I was reading that. You know, you could have been in that house and you could have had blood over the doorpost, but if you had gone out of that house, even though you're in under the blood, even though you're protected by the blood, if you had gone out of that house during the time when the death angel passed over, you would have died also. You had to stay under the blood. It was so essential for them to understand. You know, when we talk about that, we're talking about 600,000 men plus women and children. 
Think of how many animals had to be slain that night before the exodus took place. And then it continues to grow because when Solomon was dedicating the temple in 2 Chronicles, the 7th chapter, it tells us there in uh, 2 Chronicles 7.5 that he, there were 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep that were slain. Think of it, 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. Someone, some mathematician, got busy and tried to figure out exactly what that would involve. And they said it would be 1,500 car loads, train car loads, bulk tank cars full of blood. Think of it, 15 mile long, 15 mile long train of bulk cars full of blood from that one sacrifice there for when the temple was dedicated. And yet the Word of God tells us that after all that shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sins. Look in Hebrews the 10th chapter. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4 through 7. Hebrews 10, 4 through 7. And it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. Thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. All that blood was shed for the covering of sins, but not the taking away of sins. And the Scripture says that they were looking forward to the promise being fulfilled from Genesis 3.15 that it would be her seed that would bruise the head of Satan, that there might be redemption. And uh, again, the blood that was shed, think of it, a, a, a train... 15-mile-long train full of blood couldn't take away the sins. All it could do was cover their sins. And yet that was the provision God had made as a shadow of those things which are come. Then we come to the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Scripture says in Galatians 4, 4, In the fullness of time God sent forth His Son in the likeness of a woman to die for sinful man. In the fullness of time Christ shed His blood as the Lamb of God. And the Bible says He was a Lamb without blemish and without spot. He was undefiled. He was separate for sinners. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In Him was found no sin. Sinless Lamb of God. But the important thing is, it wasn't to cover sin anymore. In the Old Testament, all that blood only covered sin, but the, the blood of the Lamb of God came to cleanse sin. 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. What a difference. Once a year they had to go in and shed the blood all over again. The next year shed the blood all over again to cover their sins for one year period at a time. And then if during the year you fouled up again and messed up again, you could take another animal to the high pri to the priest and have them, uh, you lay your hand on them, confess your sins, and they would, they would slay the animal and put the blood on the altar again and be forgiven. But there had to be this constant covering of sin. But it says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses from all sin. And 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For as much as we know that we were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I thank God for this, this bloody book, for the atoning book, that I can say my sins are blotted out, I know. Once for all. There's a tremendous cry today for pure blood. There are people now that have gone into business who are storing people's blood for them in case they ever have to have surgery. They'll keep it frozen until the time the person wants to have blood. They don't want somebody else's blood. I mean, with all the AIDS and all the uh, different diseases that are in the blood. By the way, the life is in the blood, but diseases can be in the blood also. And so many unsuspecting people who were hemophiliacs 
that would bleed if they were bumped at all or had any cuts that couldn't stop bleeding. These poor innocent people would take from the blood banks that were of blood stored and they were ending up with all kinds of diseases, especially AIDS, and that's a death sentence on them. There's always been a cry for pure blood because the life is in the blood. And uh, when I think of the blood of Calvary, it says once for all. Never have to do it again. The songwriter said there's a fountain filled with blood, pure blood, undefiled blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. How I thank God we can apply it every day. We can apply the blood of Jesus Christ every day. 1 John 1, 29 says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And some years ago I read an illustration, I've never forgotten it, that Napoleon, when he was conquering the world, was so excited, but then he sat down and wept as he looked at a map, and when he saw the British Isles on the map, there was a red spot that they had circled the British Isles. He said, were it not for that red spot, I could conquer the world. He couldn't get over to Britain. If it weren't for that one red spot, I could conquer the world. And I thank God that Satan, when he looks down on this world, he points at Calvary. He said, were it not for that one spot, I could conquer the world. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. I thank God for this bloody book. 